And welcome back, everyone, to the Cold War Cast. I am your host, Ryan Llewellyn. This is a podcast where we discuss the history and the pop culture of the Cold War. I just did an episode a couple days ago about the 1962 Cold War classic, Red Nightmare, with Jack Webb narrating. And in that podcast, I said that I would be back very soon, within a matter of a couple days, to talk about the situation that's been developing around the war in Ukraine. The big news at the time of recording was that uh, many European countries, uh, most notably Germany, has uh, agreed to send uh, the, the Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. And of course, there would be a contingent of, I believe, 14 uh, Challenger tanks from the United Kingdom and 31 Abrams tanks from the United States of America, along with uh, some Bradley fighting vehicles that they had promised um, just just a little bit ago, not too long ago. We've had a few days to digest uh, digest the news uh, because some of it seemed a little up in the air. And uh, as it's looking right now, um, over the course of the next few months, um, well, Ukraine's going to get about 150 of these um, Leopard tanks, which are very good tanks. Um, it appears, I haven't confirmed this, but uh, it looks like Spain is planning on giving them like damn near all the tanks they own, which is about 50 some of these things, um, which is, is pretty uh, pretty significant gift for them. Now, I don't have any special information that I'm going on. Of course, I'm just a uh, regular guy, like, you know, presumably guy or gal, like presumably you are. So what I'm going to go off today is my gut feeling and, of course, a healthy dose of uh, trust me, bro. I've been following the war in Ukraine pretty closely, and... I follow, you know, mainstream news sources on it, which, you know, are more or less worthless, to be honest. And then, you know, I'm also exposed a lot to the the very pro-Ukrainian side, where, you know, you've got the guys with the uh, Sheba avatars, the, the NAFO, um, North Atlantic Fellas Organization. And um, also, I'm exposed to the pro-Russian side of things. Then, of course, some sources that are just going to be um, skeptical of the uh, the mainstream narrative of the war uh, one way or another, you know, whether or not they really have a dog in the fight. So on one side of the story, um, the tanks are seen as a uh, another Wunderwaffen that's um, – going to save the day and uh, potentially make the difference for uh, the Ukraine. And, you know, that's just going to be just the the push they need to finally uh, liberate the entirety of their country, uh, possibly including Crimea, from, from the Russians. And then on the far other side of the story, um, the, the more pro-Russian side um, discredits the effect these tanks can have and more so discredits Ukraine's ability to be able to effectively use these tanks. I feel some of the takes on the tanks <laughs> um, needs a little bit of moderation. So that's kind of what we're going to do today, um, along with uh, a little speculation on my part, which um, I don't know, might 
pan out to be true. So we're going to continue to monitor the situation. All right. So I think that, and, you know, like I said, you know, I'm not a tank expert or, or military expert, any, anything like that. I have no special information. This is just gut feeling and trust me, bro. But I don't think the tanks for the Ukrainians are going to make a big bit difference on the battlefield. I know that's an unpopular opinion. And right now, or well, in the past couple of days, um, there's been a lot of nerdy analysis on Twitter that, you know, this tank has, you know, this rate of fire and this, um, you know, could go this far on a tank of gas and has this little feature and that little feature compared to the Russian tanks. Uh, bottom line, when the Russians are using their T-90s, um, you know, or even the updated T-72s, the difference between these tanks are going to be marginal in the favor of the uh, the Western tanks. You know, people are kind of making this out to be, you know, almost like putting a, a Corvette up against a 2007 Ford Taurus or something like that. And um, the, the actual difference between these tanks um, isn't going to be that dramatic um, head, head to head to make it be like a, a total uh, Wunderwaffen. And this is especially true once you consider who's going to have the better logistics chain, and that's going to be the Russian side. Um, Ukraine's going to be entirely dependent on Western aid to get um, the technical expertise, spare parts, um, possibly ammunition. All this is going to be, um, well, dependent on on charity, more or less, and um as they should know by now, um, you know, I guess not really like to have a choice, but that can be spotty and fickle. Russia just has a better infrastructure um, right now insofar as uh, taking care of the tanks that uh, Ukraine has. So that's going to that's gonna give Russia a pretty big advantage right there. And there is also the issue of... Um, training and technical expertise in the sense that um, the Russian tank crews are going to be very familiar with their tanks and very competent with their tanks, whereas the Ukrainians are going to be um, kind of given a, um, a shotgun education on how to use these Western tanks. But then again, and you know, a lot of people on the Russian side are saying that this is going to um, be something that kind of does the Ukrainians in. But again, I think this needs to be tempered a little bit. I think that Ukraine is going to end up doing a pretty good job of getting these tank crews up to speed very fast. Um, I know if you uh, read the comment section, you know, you always hear that um, somebody's saying, well, you know, it takes a, a year or six months or, you know, I don't know exactly what the number is for an American uh, soldier to, to competently learn these tank systems. But I, I truly believe that they are going to be able to whittle this down to the essentials and, um, and well, um, get competent tank crews out uh, a little faster. 
or a little faster than what we would do in a in a time of peace. Um, you know, the uh, Ukrainian soldiers that are learning these weapon systems aren't, you know, getting <laughs> weekends off to, to go to Louisville or <laughs> whatever they do at, um, at, at Fort Knox where our guys learn tanks. Um, I have been to Fort Knox. Um, I haven't been off the base, but I did have one really wild night at the enlisted club there. But uh, that's a story for another day. Anyway, I trust that Ukraine is going to um, use the power of selection in order to uh, make the the learning curve a, a little sharper for these tanks. And what I mean by that is that they are going to pick guys that are um, already experienced tankers to learn these systems and uh, ones that have demonstrated um, competency in uh, tankers. So, you know, you might end up getting guys that are maybe uh, a rank or two above uh, what you'd expect for tank crewmen, but um, I believe that they are going to put their their best and brightest into these tanks. You know, they're not going to take a... um, you know, 45-year-old chubby fishmonger that they just dragooned off the streets of Odessa and, uh, you know, throw him into a leopard right away. And on that note, just a quick little divergence here. You know, when you analyze these kind of things, um, you have to be able to look at shades of gray. So, you know, when they say it's going to take forever to train a tank crew, they're kind of just assuming... um, you know, a regular private soldier that they're just, you know, throwing through the ranks. Um, it is possible for them to uh, pick people that are going to start with the best foundation to go through. Um, another example of this, I recently saw a side-to-side comparison of um, the uh, the Russian tanks and um, the, the Western tanks. And it was written in a way uh, using... Possibly uh, the worst examples of um, the Russian T-72 is the basis of comparison that made it look like these Western tanks are going to be just just light years ahead of um, of the T-72. And, you know, like I said, uh, these Western tanks are better than the T-72s that the Russian has. But when they've um, modernized them and, uh, and updated them, like I said, you know, the difference isn't um, terribly dramatic. Another thing that is in Russia's favor um, as far as tanks go in this war right now is, uh, well, the, the timeline that they're, everyone's working on. I'm not entirely sure when these leopard tanks are showing up. Um, sounds like some are kind of trickling in as we speak, but um, the big numbers of them will be coming in, in coming months and as of right now, it looks like the Abrams tanks from the United States are slated to be there um, uh, sometime around August. Russia's got everything they need uh, right now. Um, a lot of it is uh, positioned right there in Ukraine and Belarus and around the uh, the border areas of Russia right there. Um Russia doesn't need to wait on manufacturing anything. They they are manufacturing tanks. Um, they've got they've got what they need. They've got the crews for them. Um, they mobilized a ton of reservists back in September, I believe it is. And what 
people were saying is that they're you know looking at about a three month period to um, get the mobilized reservists uh, up to speed to be able to take part in offensive operations in Ukraine. And uh, we're pretty much um, at the end of that window if if we're not already past that window right now. So Russia has the um, uh, uh, time in their favor in, in this regard. And also on the same subject, Russia has the numbers going for them too. Tanks work better with other tanks um, in concert with other tanks in order to really effectively employ them. And uh, Russia is going to have a lot more flexibility to um, to put what they have into action and um, really use them in force. But I trust that um, Ukraine is going to be able to... Uh, maybe be a good steward of these resources and use the Western tanks in concert with each other and perhaps use them on, uh, on one axis or, or, you know, one, uh, one little front, I guess. And, um, you know, concentrate the ability to use these tanks as opposed to spreading them all out. They'll be, uh, definitely less effective that way. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, some people on the Russian side are kind of assuming that Ukraine will spread them out pretty thin. Um, I disagree. I, I bet they will use them um, in some coordinated manner. Because here's the thing, um, even though I don't think these tanks are going to make a huge difference on the battlefield for the Ukrainians, I think that in a way these tanks from the West are a, a Hail Mary uh, for Ukraine that um, could potentially be their savior, but, uh, but you know, maybe not. And here's what I mean by this. I think that if Ukraine is able to take these tanks and show some level of success with them, that, look, you know, the, the Western technology that uh, you guys have sent over is making a difference on the battlefield um, if they have, you know, perhaps footage of these tanks, um, you know, decisively taking out the Russians one way or another, it's going to make it a lot more likely that the West is going to get more bold with the aid that they send to the Ukrainians. Be it more tanks or some of the advanced missile systems that they've talked about, um, I know they've talked about, or well, they do plan on sending the Patriot missiles. Um, I'm a little skeptical of that being um, something significant, but you know, I'll save that for another day. Um, you know, if even. But um, I think it's pretty safe to say that the tanks are going to be seen as the West testing the waters, insofar as how much. Um, serious aid to the Ukrainians can um, could make a difference. Most of the NATO countries have already um, kind of cleaned out their closets, I guess you could say, by sending a lot of their um, older uh, hardware that they had sit sitting around. Um, you know, kind of the, uh, the the secondhand stuff that they had sitting that's a little outdated that uh, the Ukrainians have been putting to use, but. Uh, you know, things like these modern tanks is getting a little bit more serious and 
there's been talk of sending F-16s and this kind of thing. So, um, like I said, the Ukrainians, they know that this is their Hail Mary pass. And I, I trust they're going to do their absolute damnedest to make it look like this Western aid made a difference or could make a difference. Um, that way they can expect more. And just to throw it out there, the more cynical side of me wonders if this is just a way for the the Western world to be able to kind of see what they got going for themselves and let the uh, Ukrainians kind of be the crash test dummies to see how their hardware um, stands up to the Russians. That, you know, maybe they don't think it's going to make a difference. You know, maybe they care or not, but um, they just want to be able to get some data insofar as, um, well, how things are looking and what they can do to potentially face off with Moscow should the, uh, the need actually arise. And it's also true that both things can be true at the same time, where they do want to see if their aid will make a difference and, um, you know, maybe hedging their bets a little bit by saying, well, at the very least, we can, uh, you know, see if, if what our strengths and uh, weaknesses are compared to the Russians. They talk about Western advisors and Western militaries um, training Ukrainian soldiers, but, um, you know, the uh, other way around is probably true, too, where um, American and Western advisors are gleaning everything they can from the Ukrainians who are, uh, you know, fighting with the Russians right now and trying to learn their lessons as well, too. So, like I said, the Ukrainians know that this is more than just um, just getting some tanks. They know a lot is probably at stake here, but the uh, converse is true as well, too, I'm sure, where the Russians know the value of these tanks are more than just tanks. They know if they can make the, <clears throat> the Western tanks to Ukraine look like a dismal failure, that that is going to sour the the um, really kind of shaky resolve on the part of the general public in, in all the Western countries towards supporting Ukraine. And it'll be a tough sell in pretty much all these countries if, you know, let's say, uh, you know, all the German tanks, <laughs> you know, they get sent to uh, Ukraine end up getting you know, not make a difference. And, you know, there's pictures of uh, blown up leopards, you know, on TikTok and, um, you know, the Abrams getting hit before they even really get to the battlefield, you know, whatever. Um, this is not going to play well with the public. And, um, you know, even people that are well-intentioned towards the Ukrainians are going to be able to say, well, you know, at least we tried something. So massive Western aid to Ukraine is going to be Ukraine's only possible saving grace here. And well, about the, the Russians know it's about the only thing that could um, really upset their, uh, the, what will probably be an eventual victory for them very soon. Now, just to back up a little bit, I talked about the timeline of the tanks where Russia's pretty much got everything they need right now and the 
um, Wunderwaffen from the West are going to be something that's that's coming in on a timeline in the matter of uh, you know weeks at best and uh, definitely months. A lot of people are saying that, uh, and as I'm recording this, this is January 31st of 2023, and a lot of people are saying that a massive Russian winter offensive is going to be happening, um, you know, almost any day now. And that is the reason why they mobilized so many troops, uh, you know, some 300,000, I believe is the number I've heard. And have been, um, you know, getting getting all their tanks out of storage and, um, you know, gearing everything up for a, a potential um, just major assault on the Ukraine that, uh, you know, some people think will push the Ukrainians uh, just, just past the brink. And to be honest, uh, Ukraine's put up a, put up a, hell of, a hell of a defense against the Russians. And, you know, we have to um, definitely tip our hats to the defenders here um, insofar as what they've done. But um, things are not looking that rosy for the Ukrainian military. The Ukrainians have suffered um, just a, a ton of casualties. Um, some people put the figure as high as... Uh, 150,000 potentially dead, um, you, you know, compared to possibly, you know, 30,000 Russian dead. Um, you, you know, both sides, I think, are mm, tweaking their numbers a little bit. But, um, it, you know, either way, it appears that um, the scales are heavily tipped against the Ukrainians insofar as casualties here. And they're having problems with manpower. Um, the uh, The Russians just basically mobilized their uh, their reserves, so you know, just uh, actual military men. And um, the you know, and they did up their conscription a little bit, or well, I guess it'd be a pretty significant percentage. But um, you know, instead of asking for 100,000 um, conscripts this year, they asked for like 150 or something like that. But um, <clears throat> the Ukrainians are really digging in and finding um, finding older men. Um, you know, so there's reports of uh, younger men, teenagers and so forth, like not 18-year-olds, but like 16-year-olds. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but um, it does appear that they are taking, um, you know, basically well old, out of shape men, you know, to uh, to fight these wars. When you see the um, the videos, you you definitely do see it. Um, the pro Russian side sometimes refers to the Ukrainian soldiers as as chubs, and um, you know there there is something to that where they look like. Um, kind of out of shape, uh, balding, middle-aged men that should be at home, you know, compared to when you see the Russian soldiers, usually they, they look like, uh, like military males, what you, you know, in shape and, and young and so forth. There is the case of Wagner, the Wagner group, the, uh, the orchestra, the musicians, as they're sometimes called, um, basically private contractors, um, that are mercenaries on behalf of the Russian government using prisoners. And 
people from all around the world um, in order to fight. And that is true as well, that, um, you know, Russia is beefing up their numbers that way. But um, I think clearly when you look at it, um, it, from what you see on the ground or, (laughs) well, what gets to the internet, um, it does look like Ukraine is having more manpower issues than, than Russia is. There's a lot of jobs in the world that I would not want to do, and one of them would be a Ukrainian quartermaster right now because um, their logistic network just has to be absolutely nuts with the amount of equipment they're getting here and there from all over the world, all over Europe. Um, it has to be really hard to to balance all this stuff. Um you know, it, it's not so much of an issue as, say, you get this vehicle, they hand you the keys, and, and there you go. There's um, there's definitely, you know, spare parts, um, special equipment, and so forth that has to go along with it. And um, I that's got to be really difficult for them. And I know that um, that's that's got to be really wearing them down, the constant balancing act. Um, you know, admittedly... Um, Getting something is usually going to be better than not getting something. So, uh, you know, you can't look a gift horse in the mouth, but um, that's that's got to take its toll. That there's not quite the same uniformity as, as, say, you might see on the Russian side of things or if the Americans went to war or NATO went to war, whatever. Anyway, back to these tanks. Um, so if the Ukrainians are able to employ these tanks and be able to rack up some successes with them. That is going to be a big propaganda and morale boost for them. But at the same time, if they're not doing so hot, that's going to definitely tip in the Russians' favor. Think about this. Okay, so um, I had a friend that ended up marrying a girl from Russia, and he lived over there, and I believe he still lives over there now that I think about it. And the first time he went over there to visit, one of the first things he said is that World War II was, or the Great Patriotic War, rather, was pretty much the state religion over there in Russia. That, um, you know, there's just monuments to it everywhere. Um, You see references to it all over. And, you know, understandably so. It was their, um, their worst moment and their greatest moment as the Soviet Union, all in one. But think about what it'll be like for the Russian public when images of, um, (laughs) you know, some guy that looks like he belongs on a Soviet realism poster harvesting wheat or something, some blonde-eyed, blonde-eyed, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Slavic god man, you know, holding a Soviet victory banner over the um, charred hulk of of a German tank. On well, well, the very same fields that his grandfather did the same thing years ago, or perhaps a band of Chechens um, somewhere in Zaporizhia, <laughs> you know, waving their Akhmat Sila flags and chaining Alu Akbar over a burnt-up Abrams tank. Um, well, that's going to. Um, Stuff like that's really going to be red meat for for the Russians. Um, you know, they have a narrative that 
This isn't necessarily a war against their neighbor, Ukraine. This is um, them pushing back against the Western world. And to see the tanks that the West is sending, uh, you know, whether they're crewed with Ukrainians or not, which, you know, they will be, as, um, as, as a way of the Russians really slapping the West hand back by, um, by being able to take out their tanks. So um, be on the lookout for that too. Um, there's definitely going to be um, a lot of propaganda value to these things for both sides. With that said, I think that there is probably going to be a really good story brewing with these tanks um, for one side and, and not the other. And time will only tell who that's going to be. And what I mean by that is that both sides know what's at stake with these tanks. The Russians are going to do their damnedest to uh, destroy these tanks before they get anywhere near the Dnieper River. Um, you know, however that happens, be it uh, drones, special forces, um, airstrikes, uh, whatever. Um, if you think about it, um, tanks normally have to be transported uh, via rail or sometimes, um, you know, flat cars on semis. There's there's different options, but um, they most likely will be something that would be very predictable and uh, channeled that would get them actually into Ukraine, you know, rail lines from Poland or, or what have you. So the Western world is going to go through um, probably some pretty interesting ways to try to sneak them into the country. And um, who knows how this may be, but, you know, the Russians, they have their spies, um, you know, their satellite footage that, um, you know, both sides are using to, to monitor things. Um, and, you know, if you get on you know, YouTube, TikTok or whatever, um, Telegram, there is all kinds of footage of tanks being um, shipped via rail or, you know, semi uh, via semis or whatever. Um, it's just something that's kind of cool. People take note of and it'd be hard to hide. Right after the news that the tanks were going to be on the move, there was a lot more of this footage on the internet. So, um, and, you know, they can geolocate this pretty easy if a video does go up to, to YouTube. And, you know, of course, both sides are monitoring this. So it'll be interesting to see um, what lengths everyone goes to in order to deceive the other side. You know, like um, what I'm thinking about here is um, how is the West going to get these tanks actually into Ukraine without... Um, really tipping off to the Russians uh, where they are or in what numbers. Because, I mean, if you, if you think about it, let's say a, a train of, well, 31 Abrams from the United States comes into Ukraine. Um, pretty much all the Russians got to do is take that train out, and um, that really um, kind of takes the wind out of the sails <laughs> for Ukraine's war effort right there. So there will be an interesting cat and mouse game with these tanks. And, um, you know, at this point, we're not sure if the cat's going to win or the mouse is going to win. But um, time will tell. And um, I, I know it's going to be an interesting story one way or the other. 
One more thing to throw out there about the comparison between these tanks on paper is that, um, well, sometimes things aren't actually used the same way as they are on paper. And uh, what I mean by this is that um, it's not all that Mm, I, I don't even know what word I want to use. Um, not all that likely that the the Western tanks and the Soviet or the, excuse me the Russian tanks, Soviet made tanks are going to go head to head in some massive tank battle. Um, the tanks will probably be employed a lot different, and some of the tank on tank specifications um, just aren't going to to matter in the same way that if, if they met on some some big field and we had a big battle of tank formation versus tank formation. Uh, maybe that could happen, you know, who knows. But probably won't. Um, I'm reminded of my own time in, in the military where right after 9-11, um, a guy, um, an NCO in my uh, company, was talking about like how great it would be when we go to war with uh the with the taliban there in afghanistan because they had ak-47s and we had m16s and he said that um with our m16s we can pick them off from 500 meters whereas with their ak-47s they can pick us off from or you know only be effective from uh i believe it's 300 meters is the um the effective range of the AK-47. Uh, he, he's not wrong. Those are the right numbers. But, um, you know, Jesus Christ, what, what a dumb thing to say, you know, um, that just totally um, disregards, um, you know, I mean, the guy wasn't a dumb guy, but um, that's just definitely not how uh, how things work out, that those kind of things really matter. Um and I, I think there's maybe a, a little bit of that going on with these tanks as well, too. Um, and pretty much all the, the Wunderwaffen where, you know, they compare them side to side. You know, maybe the Western side's, uh, you know, a smidge better here and there, and it's going to make a difference. Um, warfare is uh, a little little messier, and there's a lot more gray area than that. One final thing about the influx of Western hardware into Ukraine that um, – I think I need to say to kind of moderate the pro-Russian side. And, you know, maybe the uh, pro-Ukrainian side is not going to like what I have to say either in this regard because it's a little um, defeatist, I guess, from their perspective. But um, what I really see happening in this war is that you know, Russia's got this big winter offensive, uh, presumably, that they're they're winding up for um, as as we speak. And... It's likely they will knock Ukraine out to the Dnieper River. Um, so, you know, pretty much have Russian boots on the ground on the entirety of the eastern um, eastern half. I'm not sure if it's exactly half the country, but you know what I mean, of, you know, modern day Ukraine. Um, I have a feeling that um, Odessa, currently in Ukrainian hands, will um, become uh, a Russian city here. You know, within the next 
within this year, probably, you know, Kharkov or Kharkiv, whatever, you know, you want to call it. Um, I have a feeling these places will be in Russian hands um, pretty soon. And it is likely that there will be uh, a Ukrainian rump state on the other side of the river that will stay Ukrainian. And um, we could be in a situation where that uh, there's the constant standoff, just like what you might see or what you would see between North Korea and South Korea right now, but um, right there on the river, where there's a, a heavy militarized presence of uh, Ukrainians and, and possibly Western troops by this point. Um, I think if um, it stabilizes, it would be more likely to see a, a NATO mission to Western, or, yeah, Western Ukraine as um, kind of like a uh, not quite peacekeeper, but um, defensive force, um, you know, if hostilities uh, cease there in Ukraine. So it, it is possible that something like that could happen where there's this, just this big standoff. And anyway, so we talk about the timeline of whether or not the hardware is going to matter, whether it's going to get there in time to matter for the Ukrainians, and it is possible that um, the Western world is kind of digging in a little bit by um, giving them this hardware now or, you know, getting the ball rolling on it now, knowing that, um, yeah, maybe it's not going to stop the uh, Russians from taking over eastern Ukraine. But, um, you know, we're going to have something there as a deterrent to, um, you know, keep the Russians from going anywhere uh, further than that. So that's a possibility as well, too. Um, You know, there's talk of F-16s going to Ukraine. And um, I'm not sure if I heard this correctly today, because, you know, like I said, there's just a lot of um, misinformation going around. But I heard that Joe Biden has said that we will not send F-16s Um, You know, just earlier today, he said that apparently, but, um, you know, also too, just because they say something doesn't mean that's necessarily the truth either. Um, They also said we wouldn't send tanks and, you know, here we are gearing up to, uh, to do that. But it is possible that Western governments are thinking um, not in terms of the battlefield right now, but what the situation could be a year from now, two years from now, 10 years from now by giving the Ukrainians this hardware. So, um, you know, that that's a lens that we do need to look at this war from, um, you know, what the um, what the consequences and end results uh, from this war is going to be. <laughs> and, you know, one final little insignificant point, I guess, in this on is, um, you know, every couple of months or, you know, maybe every month I see something on Twitter where someone from the pro-Russian side post a picture of Western hardware that's being sent to Ukraine. And, uh, you know, a lot of times it's going to have, uh, you know, tan beige, um, desert camouflage as opposed to the more, um, green that you would expect for, um, for Eastern Europe and kind of, um, point and guffaw that, you know, how stupid are these guys for sending desert camouflage to Ukraine? Um, I think this is is this is pretty superficial, <laughs> and um, you know at the, when you're just criticizing the paint job of a tank, uh, you, you know, come on, 
that's uh, that's a pretty easy thing to fix. Um, even if you do need to fix it, um, I think if the Ukrainians got an influx of uh, beige tanks, and they would be pretty happy to employ beige tanks <laughs> and uh, probably be just fine for it. So um, I don't know. So, sometimes the uh, hole poking and the other side's plans uh, gets a little pedantic. So um, that's all I've got for this. Um, I think this episode, honestly, um, I, I hope you got something out of it. Uh, you know, I hope there was some real food for thought, but I've really been thinking about these tanks um, probably m- more than I should, you know, the past couple of days. It's just something that's really been on my mind, and um, this has been good for me just to uh, kind of shoot from the hip and then get it all out. Um, so, uh, you know, I-, I hope this has given you something to think about. Um, I hope I hope for peace in that part of the world. Um this is a terrible situation. There's a lot of fingers to be pointed on, you know, people who've screwed up in order to make this happen. And, uh, you know, bottom line is that we're here and um, the level of casualties on both sides, this is atrocious. Um, this shouldn't happen. And this is, this is why we study history. Um, it's not so much that uh, we can stop it, just, you know, regular people like you and I, but... Um, we can <clears throat> we can look at patterns and say, you know, ah, Jesus Christ, here we go again. But um, we are definitely in a new Cold War. Or if you want to say that we're just rehashing old business from the last Cold War, I would say you were right too. And um, unfortunately, here we are right in the thick of it. And um, history is being made all around us. All right, so I'm going to leave it there. Um, thanks for listening to me on this one. I, I really mean it. Like I said, it, it just feels good to shoot from the hip on this one. Um, I will be back very soon with a new episode about something. Let me know what you think. Um, you can always find me on Instagram under Cold War Cast or Twitter under The Cold War Cast. If you want to support this show financially, the best way to do it right now is to go to reddragonherbs.net which is um, our family's loose-leaf tea business. And uh, we have all kinds of cool stuff, really. Um, Valentine's Day is coming up, and if you haven't gotten your significant other a gift yet, um, loose-leaf tea actually makes a, a, a really good, thoughtful gift. Um, feel free to you know, message me if you need any recommendations. I'd be happy to do that for you. And um, uh, you know, hopefully... Uh, You'll find something that uh, you or your loved one will like. So thanks for listening and I will talk to you later.